The following interview is sponsored by Leading Edge Materials. Enjoy. Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. My name is Jesse Day, and before we get started, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investing advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest is the director and CEO of Leading Edge Materials, a Canadian public company focused on developing a portfolio of critical raw materials projects in the European Union. It's Mr. Eric Kraft. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, happy to have you here. So I want to start like I do with all new guests with the origin story. So how did you first become interested in metals and commodities? And how did that lead you to becoming the CEO of Leading Edge Materials? Thanks. Uh, I'm Swedish. I spent the early part of my career in M&A and corporate finance. About uh, 20 years ago, I found myself uh, running a dry bulk shipping business in China, so focused on marine transportation and logistics of commodities which were serving uh, China's surging demand at the time, mostly iron ore and coal. And that was truly a a glorious period. Uh, China had just joined the World Trade Organization and uh, now we call that period the commodity super cycle. So extremely interesting. And since then, I have focused and been involved in uh, various angles of natural resources, commodities and energy. And I think uh, the setup now in terms of uh, some of these, some metals and commodities in Europe is even better than it was in China uh, back then. We'll get into that uh, later, I'm sure. Uh, Leading Edge Materials is a company that I invested in in 2020. We then changed the board of directors management and we focused uh, the strategy. I am the largest shareholder of the company, so I'm eating my own cooking in, in this regard. I'm also the CEO since last year. And we positioned the company to leverage these emerging trends that we see now in here in Europe. That's great. Well, before we dive into leading edge, I want to talk about the macro of critical raw materials in Europe. So first of all, could you outline the main critical raw materials currently needed in Europe and their main uses? Uh, Well, Brussels has uh, designated a list of around uh, uh, 30 elements that they deem critical in order to sustain our desired way of life. Uh, But they are also economically and strategically important for the European economy, but have a high risk associated with their supply. For example, there is more gigabattery factory capacity in Europe than in the US. And in Europe, we are building it out faster, so we will require even more metals. But we rely on practically all of these to be imported. But there's also other materials on on that list, for example, phosphate rock, which of course we need as a fertilizer in order to feed everyone. And that's also important. So there's a number of these. Right. Now, The EU is exposed to fairly significant value chain risk when it comes to these critical minerals. 
with China far and above controlling most of the extraction and especially the processing of commodities such as graphite, rare earths, cobalt, and nickel. So could you talk about these risks and explain how China came to be in such a dominant position in the first place? Well, answering the, the last bit first, China is very good at strategic thinking and foresight. Their position now is uh, the result of conscious choices. Good for them. Uh, Europe and the US, uh, we have now finally understood that we need to adjust our priorities in order to catch up. And it, it's not just a question of global warming, which of course is a very important issue and it has uh, stimulated a, a real movement of millions of people around the world. But it's also a question of the future of European industry. Uh, the Chinese make terrific uh, products, um, uh, many of them. And for example, now we see very good Chinese cars rolling around the streets of, of Europe. And this is perceived as a direct threat to uh, local jobs, value add, uh, prosperity, taxes, etc. There's also the geopolitical uh, security angle. Uh, I hear from German friends that behind closed doors in Berlin, there's absolute conviction that Vladimir Putin would not have dared invade Ukraine if he had not felt so sure about the leverage he held over Germany and Europe because of our dependence on his gas, so that he could sort of get away with something very aggressive because otherwise we would be freezing in the dark this winter. So it's now increasingly perceived as reckless to put oneself in a position of dependence on another country which may not share our Western values or geopolitical goals. I think the second and third order effects of leaving oneself vulnerable to those circumstances are really hard to predict, but what's sure is that nothing good comes out of it. I think politicians are unlikely to get away with making the sort of short-term instant gratification choices. In order to be re-elected, now is the time to be pragmatic and, and sincerely responsible. Uh, this is important for us in this industry because it means less uh, space will be given to the sort of hypocritical and selfish nimbyism movements, which has in many places turned European permitting into a real dysfunctional and unpredictable process. Uh, I, I think also business aside, I'm a, a very patriotic European and I think it's extremely encouraging to see uh, this is all rapidly changing now. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. And, and speaking of securing supplies, the EU recently proposed the European Critical Raw Materials Act. So this is a comprehensive set of actions <clears throat> to a secure supply of critical raw materials in the region. So could you provide some details on what this act means and its implications for critical materials extraction in the EU moving forward? Yeah, uh, it, it's a direct manifestation of the issues that we, we just talked about. And it, it's a response to the American Inflation Reduction Act and, of course, Chinese companies that have always enjoyed various levels of state support. 
so very briefly, uh, the proposed legislation will require that 10% of these critical raw materials that will be used in the, in the European Union to have been mined in the European Union by 2030. And this, of course, is incredible because 2030, in mining terms, it's like tomorrow morning. Uh, and, you know, by the way, we are almost mining nothing of this right now. So this is going to require enormous effort uh, to, to enable reaching this goal. And the politicians are actually not delusional. This is well understood by them. They, and they are really committed here to, to do heavy lifting and do something really meaningful. Uh, also, uh, another important point, member states have to commit to 24 months permitting of projects that are deemed to be of strategic importance. And that, again, is really incredible because that, of course, 24 months is light speed compared to anything that we're used to. Uh, all in all, uh, this is really huge. And I don't think that the dramatic effects this will have on extractive industries is fully appreciated by the mainstream yet. Uh, personally, I'm in favor of uh, free market and I, I'm not a big fan of subsidies and I think this legislation is, is a really sensible uh, uh, proposal and, and really helpful to, to make a difference. Yeah, it does seem very encouraging for sure. So now let's dive into leading edge materials and the commodities that you're planning to extract. So to start with, before we dive into the individual commodities, could you give us an overview of the company for those who might be unfamiliar? Yeah, we, we are a Canadian public company. We are completely focused on, focused on critical raw materials in the European Union. We are dual listed, uh, Toronto Venture Exchange and Nasdaq in Stockholm. Uh, as I mentioned, I got actively involved uh, in the company as a board member and largest shareholder in 2020. Alongside me, I have our chairman. He's Swedish like me. His name is Lars-Erik Johansson. He, was, he has a long, illustrious career in, in mining. Uh, he's a bit older than us. And uh, recently, he was recruited by Robert Friedland to build Ivanhoe Mines, which he did from uh, literally one drill hole in the Congo. I think that was back in 2006. And um, he built it into the big company it is today. And uh, I think Lars-Erik sees this as an opportunity to do something significant and important in, in his home country. Uh, so uh, also on the board, uh, there is uh, Daniel Major, mining engineer. He's the CEO of a uranium development company called GoVX, uh, where I'm also very involved since many years. I think Daniel is uh, the best junior mining CEO at least that, that I've ever come across. So we are a very engaged uh, board in, in this. We have three assets. Uh, we have a built and permitted graphite mine and plant in Sweden. We also have a globally significant heavy rare earth deposit in Sweden. And thirdly, we have an extremely promising nickel cobalt exploration project in Romania. Um, very excited to tell you more about this, Jesse. 
Yeah, great. And that's great to hear that you're the biggest shareholder. Skin in the game is something that shareholders always really appreciate. Also having Daniel Major involved. I think a lot of viewers on this channel are familiar with him and GovEx because we talk about uranium a lot. So um, that's very fascinating. And I want to dive into graphite first because this is a commodity that's not often discussed, but nonetheless vital. So could you start off with giving us a macro overview of the graphite space and then uh, lead into talking about the Waxna graphite project you have? Yeah, actually, there's many different uh, types and qualities of graphite that have different uses. Uh, the attention now is given to flake graphite, which is uh, the anode in all lithium-ion chemistries, with, of course, the demand is growing exponentially. Uh, I think it will be the uh, anode use will be over 50% of natural graphite production this year. So it will have overtaken the traditional refractory market in volumes. Um, this is interesting. I, I'm very curious to watch the uh, near-term price dynamic because, as we know, uh, the anode use is growing very quickly. The demand is not so elastic. And uh, then we will see what happens. And we had those big price spikes in cobalt a few years when that happened. Lithium last year. Um, so... Uh, curious about that. Uh, China completely dominates this industry. And uh, Voxna, our uh, mine, is actually the only one in the European Union and one of very few built in the Western world. We've had it on current maintenance since 2015, while graphite prices have been low. And during that time, we've been developing a downstream anode business plan. Uh, we published a 2021 PEA on that plan that uh, returned a post-tax MPV of around uh, 250 million US and a 37% IRR. We are we announced last year that we are evaluating a, a restart of graphite concentrate production, which would be the first step to to then go further downstream. Well, now let's dive into rare earths, because once again, another group of commodities that gets very little play in the investment media space. So maybe you could first give us an overview on why rare earths are so important, where the supply demand fundamentals currently stand, and then let us know about your Nora Carr rare earth project and, and why investors should be interested. Yeah, there are actually 17 rare earth elements, and most of them are not very rare or valuable. Uh, the Critical ones, it's really four of them, two light and two heavies. And they are used for making permanent magnets, which, as you know, are used in electric motors, electric vehicles, and uh, wind turbine generators. So these are two uh, quickly growing uses. And in particular, it's the two heavy rare earths called dysprosium and terbium, which are very difficult to get hold of and supplying this increasing demand appears very challenging. Again, uh, China is the completely dominant voice in the permanent magnet industry. And there is right now a sharp focus from both Europe and the United States to ensure that they will uh, develop each their domestic magnet industry and, and uh, associated uh, rare earth metal supply. Uh, so our rare earth project is called Norasher. It's in central Sweden. 
and uh, why people should be interested is well, first it's big, 110 million tons, and uh, it is unusually richly endowed, precisely with the two heavy elements, dysprosium and terbium, which are crucial. Uh, it's a globally significant tier, absolute tier one asset. It's located next to all infrastructure and etc. It was advanced to a PFS, uh, but when we took over the company three years ago, we went back and redesigned that project uh, with a way to giving it maximum chances to get permitted. So we removed all chemical processing off-site. We decreased land use by 80%. We removed the need for wet tailing storage. We increased resource efficiency. We believe we can reduce water use to almost zero, etc. The, uh, this new plan is, is explained in a 2021 PEA, which returns a post-tax MPV of uh, uh, almost 750 million US and the 26% IRR. Uh, we are now doing a Natura 2000 permit application. This is something that's required in, in uh, Europe. And we're very pleased to have the new redesigned project seen and evaluated by all stakeholders. Uh, we're planning to start uh, update on the PFS later this year. Well, you've also got a nickel-cobalt project in Romania. So uh, first, walk us through the importance of nickel and cobalt and their main uses, and then also the features of your project there in Romania. Yeah, so it, it, it's not in Sweden, but it's still in the European Union. I think it's the best exploration project that I've heard about uh, at the moment, and certainly in Europe. Uh, nickel and cobalt are, of course, used in the cathodes, uh, in lithium-ion batteries. So we got a prospecting license there uh, five, six years ago. The early results from that were incredibly promising. Uh, but then we ended up uh, blocked in court and four or five years were, were lost. Last year, I managed to resolve all of that and we were award, awarded um, an ex exclusive exploration license and we've been advancing this project really quickly since then, with, with uh, terrific results. So in the license, we have an, there's an old uranium mine. It was uh, mined out and shut in uh, 1993. But thanks to that, this area has been meticulously explored uh, since the 1950s, uh, first by the Soviets and then by the Romanians. And they found lots of mineralization, but they were only interested in uranium, as it was back then, so they left it all untouched and continued exploring. So we benefit from lots of old data. We have people who were working back then in the 70s and 80s and 90s who are uh, working with us now. And we have hundreds of kilometers of underground galleries. That's how they explored back, back in those days. So I, I call this a bit uh, brownfield exploration. We, uh, we want permission to, to enter uh, these galleries in, in January, a few months ago, and uh, we have a long list of targets, things that we want to look at, and uh, just the first two that we started, uh, we have encountered well over 100 meter of nickel-cobalt mineralization. Uh, 
these galleries are full of oxidized nickel and cobalt, uh, very colorful. We, we have, I think, some pictures in press releases and on, on Twitter. And um, uh, it appears also that uh, these galleries that are on different levels, they encounter the same mineralization. You find it in crosscuts. So we, we feel that um, uh, maybe we are on to a, a larger system. Uh, these hot zones are, are being sampled and would be assayed uh, now. And the whole uh, point of all of this is, of course, to, to design a drill program that we will do in the second half of, uh, of this year. Uh, watch this space. I expect uh, plenty of news flow from, from this uh, truly exp- uh, extraordinary uh, exploration project. Well, thank you for all that information. Thank you also for joining us today. I'll put links to the Leading Edge uh, website as well as social media in the description below so viewers can check that out. Before I let you go, are there any final words you'd like to impart about Leading Edge materials? Yeah, thanks. Uh, You mentioned uranium. And as an investor, I'm extremely bullish and confidently highly exposed to both uranium and, and uh, copper, which uh, I think the setup is looks amazing. With the leading edge materials, speaking as a shareholder, it, is, it excites me that uh, I feel that we have created a company with top assets and which offers a hugely convex exposure to these emerging trends which intersect at increasing demand for the energy transition metals and the huge stimulation now given uh, in from the European Union and member states to get this supplied from within the union. So very excited to uh, continue developing this. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Eric, and definitely hope to have you on in the future for an update about the company. Thank you. Bye-bye. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.